Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Well, I've got to put a straight face on because there's <laughs> some quite serious subject matter uh, for this week's talking point. So we will start with where are we at now uh, with the man who's been following the story most closely with the now resigned CEO of the Jockey Club, Delia Bushel. We've said it all, Lee, in terms of it's an extraordinary story. It's a bizarre yeah. story. It's an upsetting story. It's a, tur- a period of turbulence for the Jockey Club. Now, the news today, as reported in the Sunday Times, is that, as we anticipated, yeah. the Jockey Club have received a letter from Delia Bushel's lawyers suggesting litigation is about to follow. Where's it going to end? You would imagine that the logical end destination, the way things are going now, will be in some sort of courtroom where they, someone will have to determine whether this process was fair and whether Delia Bushell has been treated fairly. It is, as you say, a completely extraordinary story, not least now because of how much seems to be being played out in the press. Um, the, 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 the Times and The Telegraph, they appear to be very well informed um, from what's, what's happening within the, the Delia Bushell camp. Um, and I think from her perspective, if you are entering into a battle with the Jockey Club, she will probably be aware that the Jockey Club as an organisation would try and hide away from embarrassment and probably wouldn't want a long and potentially very expensive court case. I wonder if that is, is part of her thinking. But it has become pretty unpleasant, pretty nasty. I mean, the, 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 the reasons why she left the job were pretty unpleasant and nasty if the allegations that were upheld are indeed she was guilty of them. Um, but to now see someone who was running the, the biggest commercial organisation in racing laying such huge allegations against people who were senior parts of that organisation as well as the structure of the organisation itself is incredible. Um, I think it raises questions for the jockey club in the sense that they made what was a disastrous appointment. Whichever way you see how Dilly Bush has been treated, it was a disastrous appointment. And there are people who were responsible for that appointment who will now presume themselves be thinking about their positions because not only... Is this a huge story in itself? It has come at the worst possible time. The Jockey Club is a commercial organisation with almost nothing to sell in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. It has this to deal with as well. It's a very, it's a, it's a perfect storm and that storm shows no sign of relenting. Let's talk about John Dance who told me earlier in the week that he was going to scale back his ownership interests and quite significantly as well, the sort of owners who have 50-plus horses in training are few and far between, and they're now fewer and further between, Lee. Yeah, I mean, listening to your podcast, I could hear the surprise in your voice after John um, announced what he did. It was very interesting because I thought many of the, the reasons he gave for scaling back his his ownership involvement, such as the levels of prize money, um, the sometimes um, febrile nature of racing politics and the handicapping system, well, they were all there before he first became involved in racehorse ownership. And to get involved in ownership to the scale he has 
you would imagine you would only do that if you'd done your own due diligence, a phrase mm. that's quite hot at the moment, um, and actually thought, is this something I want to be involved in? Clearly, it is extremely disappointing for the sport that an owner of his level is scaling back. But perhaps it's also a warning for other people who might be thinking of making a similar level of investment to really be sure of the territory you're entering, uh, that you want to enter it to the level that you're planning. Because, as I say, it, it, it is really disappointing that Johnny's scaling back. But when you listen and read his explanations for doing so, it, it does raise questions of, this isn't new. Sadly, he made comments about the handicapping system, particularly that he felt was, you know, iniquitous, and he just felt that the horses weren't playing on a on a level playing field. Is that something that resonated with you? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly there are an awful lot of riddles where you read them and you think, my goodness, that doesn't make sense. And I think if you are on the receiving end of one of those verdicts, you probably would think do I really want to be investing huge sums of money when a horse who, as he said, I think on your podcast, has three duck eggs next to his name, having started at 50 to 100 to 1 every time, is suddenly gambled on before landing yeah. that gamble? It's not, it doesn't look good. Let's talk about Subtle. This week, the British Horse Racing Authority and Arena Racing Company, who own and run Subtle Racecourse, suspended racing at Subtle, uh, suspended jump racing at Subtle until further notice because there's now been a total of eight fatalities since the resumption. There had been six prior to the last meeting. The BHA were already reviewing the situation there and had put extra measures in place. Two further fatalities meant racing has, has been suspended. When you look at the chain of events, Lee, are you satisfied with the way that this has been um, played out by the relevant authorities? I think, again, there are legitimate questions to answer. Nick, um, first of all, this is an exceptionally sad situation. To have lost so many horses on mm. one race course in such a short period of time um, is hugely regrettable. And thankfully, it is against the, the, the normal narrative of what we've been seeing, whereby fatality, the number of fatalities has been coming down in the sport. There had been six fatalities at Southwell before this week's ill-fated meeting. Um, an inquiry and investigation had started into why that was the case. The fact that the racing at Southall has been stopped now, I think, does beg the question if eight fatalities over a short period of time was enough to stop racing at Southwell, why were six fatalities not enough to stop racing at Southwell? I absolutely accept that all those involved within the, the race course, within Arena Racing Company and the BHA, are in a very difficult position and have difficult decisions to make. But I think it is a fair question to say at what, what number of fatalities do you decide we need to draw a temporary halt? Well, well indeed. And what is the answer? Is one fatality enough to draw a temporary halt? No, it's not, um, because, of course, one is, could, be, could be a one-off. But I think when you get to six, I think you can at least question whether the right decisions have been made at the right time. Maybe they have, but I, but I think it's a legitimate question to ask. Um, right, let's talk about the exemption now to jockeys 
um, having to quarantine, which means that senior riders will now have to will now be able to ride on Irish Champions Weekend without quarantining, which uh, meant the Group One races, I should say, which meant that Ryan Moore got a sort of three day unexpected lonely holiday, <laughs> lonely holiday in Ireland yeah. where he couldn't do anything we, and then came home again. We heard these stories of Aidan O'Brien spotting someone leaving a tray of food at Ryan's door, the door quietly open and the, the food dragged in. Um, this, this, this whole situation, of course, has had a huge impact on this year already mm. in the sense that Ryan Moore hasn't been going um, to Ireland, yeah. which has meant that Aidan's wider team of jockeys have enjoyed many more chances and victories in the biggest races. It was threatening to be a, a real, a, a real problem. Well, not problem, but it was threatening to devalue Irish Arms Champions Weekend because um, you wouldn't have had a, a lot of British jockeys, British-based jockeys, able to come over and ride in those races. Ryan would have been able to ride because so he was he was taking quarantine. Gayath wouldn't have been able to be ridden by by William Buick. That may potentially have threatened his participation in the race. So it's, it's, this is a great thing. For Irish racing, I do sympathise with those people who I've seen on social media pointing out that if you're someone who wants to get to Ireland, maybe for a funeral or maybe for something like that, yeah. and you can't do, I, I do think, and this is not about jockey, but in what the, the the rules around elite sports people, while they are perfectly understandable, and I would support them, I do see that if you're not an elite sports person and you would love to get over for something that's majorly important in your life, you do think, well, why can they and why can't we? But I think overall it's a, it's a good thing mm. and it's great for the, these two days coming up at the Curran Leopardstown. Uh, and on a much more local level, it's meant that James Doyle will get the ride on Pinatubo this afternoon in the Prix de Moulin because William Buick can't go to France, quarantine, and then go to Ireland next weekend. So um, giving with one hand and taking away with the other. Let's talk about Ben Curtis on a, on a related theme. Now... As you'll know, Ben contravened the zone regulations at Newmarket Friday night week ago and went into the wrong zone. And the track and trace implications of that obviously are, are very significant. So an automatic 14-day um, period on the sidelines was was laid down. Now, he had a hearing this week in front of uh, it was a one-man hearing at, at the BHA, and they decided not to foreshorten that period on the sidelines and make him serve the full term of the, of the 14 days, Lee, which hadn't been the case in the Gary Moore um, case. And as has rightly been pointed out by the Racing Post, of course, it, it has no impact on Gary Moore's income, whereas it has every impact on Ben Curtis's income. Is yeah. there some inconsistency here? Well, there would appear to be some inconsistency, yes, certainly. Um, and I think if you are Ben Curtis or you're representing Ben Curtis, you will definitely feel there is inconsistency there. Against that, I can see the... the, the opposite point of view mm. as well, not least because of what's about to happen this week. Um, there, are, there are clear indications that Doncaster's mayor um, is not delighted at the prospect of thousands of racegoers turning up at Doncaster this week. That's to put it mildly. Absolutely. And the spotlight will be on Doncaster racecourse in terms of how that goes, his first trial of spectators on racecourses. And I imagine that whilst this is not particularly maybe fair on Ben, the sport would not have looked particularly favourable to government if there was a clear instance of a jockey transgressing the rules regarding which yes. zone you're allowed in, and then that jockey received what might have been uh, interpreted as a lenient penalty. We shouldn't forget that racing is only taking place at the moment because of government licence. In fact, the government is saying, OK, 
will let you do this if you comply with X, Y and Z. And X, Y and Z does have to be complied with. And where it's not, um, I think it places a regulator in a difficult position and maybe it will have to make decisions and take verdicts it might not necessarily uh, be entirely comfortable with. Yeah, and I, I, I don't want to be so uh, accused of being a BHA apologist here, but you can say that the that the system's bonkers. You can say yeah. that the government is the government's policy is riddled with inconsistency. Yes, you can walk into a restaurant with a hundred people yeah. unmasked and the waiters unmasked and not be gi giving yeah. your track and trace details. Yet you have to abide by what appear to be stringent regulations on a on a race course. But that's not the BHA's fault. The BHA can own and the race courses. It should be said. We'll talk to David Armstrong in a minute. Can only regulate on the basis of the license under which they are allowed to operate. Absolutely right. And I think that, in a wider sense, is important too, Nick. Because w when we've over recent weeks we've seen racing professionals, um, in some instances, criticising the BHA and saying, "Well, why why can we not have spectators here? Why can they not do this?" The BHA doesn't determine this policy. It's, it has to work with government. Um, it can only do what it's told it can do by government. And I think this is one of the many instances where in racing the BHA gets blamed for something which really isn't culpable for. Can I take you back now to... I teleport you to a time when yes. there was less blood on the carpet of the sports boardrooms and mm. there was no such thing as COVID-19. No. And talk about what's going to make way for the mayor's chase at the Cheltenham Festival. Hurrah! There you are. Hey! Look at that. For a, I Who mean, you feel like you're just... Yeah. Off, just, oh, dear oh. God. The Kim Muir. Thank goodness. Um, is, it, is it going to be the Kim Muir? I think it very well might be, yeah. So the Racing Post ran a story I, this I week... I wouldn't be in favour of that myself. Well, the Racing Post ran a story this week saying that we appear to be on the, on the verge of a decision regarding which Cheltenham Festival race is going to make way for the new Grade 2 mayor's chase that will come in at next season's They couldn't have Festival. found a time when people care less about this, could they? It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Um, it's, it's a tricky one because in some ways with people saying, why not just run the Mayor's Chase as the eighth race on one of the, the festival's four days? And I do think that that is a fair argument. I can understand why um, they wouldn't want to for turf management, etc. But it does look as if we're going to lose a race. Among the races that have been mentioned are the National Hunt Chase, the Fred Winter, the Novices Handicap Chase, the Kimmy and the Martin Pipe. For me, from the, the way I saw it, I thought that the two most likely were always going to be the Martin Pipe and the Fred Winter. Because, really? Yeah, because I think you can argue... Sorry, no, the Martin Pipe and the Kim Muir. Right. Because you can argue that those two races... They're second got, divisions of races that already exist. They're, yeah, they're, they're what? They're 0 to one four five yeah. races. They do not need to be at the Cheltenham Festival because of the quality of the races themselves. Yeah. They are there because of the nature of the people who ride in those races. The Martin Pipe is a festival's only race for conditional jockeys. The Kim Muir is a festival's only race for amateur riders. I think you can make a very strong argument to say that the, the Cheltenham Festival does not need three races limited to amateur riders. So I could see a situation whereby... The uh, the the Kim the Kim Muir goes, or if the 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 Martin Pipe goes, the Kim Muir becomes a race that's open to amateur jockeys and conditional jockeys. Ah. Um, I think maybe we'll see a more creative solution to this than we might have expected, and maybe it won't just be 
one race will go, but maybe another race might change. But I think you can say as races themselves, the Kimure and the Martin Pipe are the worst races, generally speaking, at the Cheltenham Festival, and therefore should they be the first two races to be placed under the microscope. Okay, so you, just, you can look forward now to a winter where topics like that dominate this column uh, <laughs> on a week-by-week on a week basis. That's oh, we haven't so. finished, we haven't finished. Uh, we are going to talk about Holly Doyle. We need to talk about Holly Doyle. We need to recognise, albeit belatedly, because this programme's only just come back, her achievements of last weekend. Um, and she's now, uh, officially according to Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Rankings anyway, the uh, third leading ranked rider in the world, which I'm sure she will um, scale to first before too long. Yeah, and more than deserving of that as well. Um, the whole Holly Doyle story is, is marvellous. It's marvellous for her, but it's marvellous for racing. And not just because she's a woman, and we delight whenever a female jockey wins big races because... Um, it's hopefully a calling card for others to, to do the same. Um, but because she's just such a good person. You know, she's a brilliant jockey, but she's a fantastic person. She's, she's modest. She's unassuming. Um, she questions herself, I think, more than... Very tough she on herself. Yeah, absolutely. When you think of s someone who is as successful and talented as she is. But that data, five winners... Um, on a card on at Warwick on a card sorry wins on a, on a card broadcast by mainstream television and three winners at uh, at Yarmouth a Group One second yesterday she's doing incredibly well and I very much think that Holly Doyle in the next two or three years will be champion jockey because the amount of support she receives will only increase she's only going to get better as well she's got no weight issues she's loved by trainers and owners. I think it will happen. Best story about Holly Doyle this week was Adam McNamara yesterday. When I asked him about putting his career back together, he said, uh, I'm really good friends with Holly Doyle. We've round her place for dinner. And she said to me, you should come to Archie Watson's. I'll see if he's got some space for you to ride out and maybe you could get some rides off him. Fantastic. And so she's not only a good rider, but she's uh, a good egg as well. Yeah, and listen, there's this great story too. Now, Holly Doyle, Tom Marquand, a couple, both very similar, both incredibly likeable. You couldn't imagine in a million years they're ever going to bring negative headlines on the sport. And at the moment, the sport doesn't need any more negative headlines. And that was a look at this week's Talking Points. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai.